0: I think just keep on doing what you're doing, guys. Getting the message out there and having something that people can listen to and hear it would have really helped me. And I think we need more dads to know that listening to other people talk about it is almost as good as talking about it yourself.
1: Welcome along, everyone. This is the Still Parents podcast, supported by Globals Make Some Noise. We are here once again. I'm Dan, joined as ever with Ryan. And Matt from the Lily Mae Foundation. Hello, gents. You okay? I'm not too bad, thank you. (laughs) You all right? (laughs) I felt better, if I'm honest. These two got man flu. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I've got. I'm. I'm feeling quite chirpy because I had it before these guys. You know when you get it first and then you get better and you're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> little a celebration, prick. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you said it. Like,
2: <laughs> I'm. Dro- <coughs> oh, here we Excuse go. Excuse me.
3: Uh, I think I might have a whiskey when I go home. That's oh thing. yeah, yeah. That hot, does
1: the job, does it? Hot toddy.
2: Yeah. the one. That's not for the Col, That's just because he's got a problem. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Have you been getting any uh, any any support from the other arms? I'm with the, no, the absolutely old... not. Nothing no, at all. Nothing. No. 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 No.
2: No.
1: Just move on swiftly. <laughs> no point. No point talking
3: about that. Yeah, yeah. If
2: we if we end up talking about that, there's going to be a row when we get home. Yeah. No, so let's just stop talking about <laughs> it now. Ah. <laughs> just move.
1: Yeah. I love that. <laughs> we are joined tonight. Uh, say hello. See if he's here. Can you hear
0: us, Kieran? Kieran Anders. All right, fellas, how you doing? How are you, sir? You yeah. well? Yeah, pretty good. You know, it's been a it's been a weekend, so back to work tomorrow, though. Awesome. Um, this is a nice way to round off the weekend, I think.
1: I did say actually to Kieran before we before we went live tonight because he's he's got a proper beard, has not he? That's a proper proper beard. That just makes me want to shave off this cappuccino stain. Cappuccino. <laughs> <like that. laughs> <laughs> You've got quite a Scandinavian surname then, uh, or am oh. I just imagining that? Kieran Anders. You're like an old school Viking? Viking. You've got the beard. Are you a Viking? You've got an axe behind you?
0: Well, I love I love a bit of Viking culture. Oh, right. But, uh, I haven't done the DNA test or anything like that yet. Mm. Um, I like the Viking TV shows. Yeah. I don't think I'd be very good at, like, the the pillaging, and you know, <laughs> you know like the... Or the fighting. You know, <laughs> stuff from churches. It's not my scene have at all. <laughs> I think that's one
1: of my favourite comments, actually. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'd be very good at the pillaging. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's probably not the worst thing to admit, actually. No, no, no. Right,
3: yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Um, whereabouts are you joining us from, Kieran? Uh, I'm in Bolton, uh, best town in great Manchester, but don't, <laughs> don't tell everyone. You're Bolton <laughs> fan, football fan? Yeah, I love Bolt Wanderers, season tickets, me and, me and the are kids. Season ticket. Yeah. Did
1: you used to go back in the days when you had um, JJ Akocha? JJ, remember him? Campos, Campos. They had a great yeah. side. Joke I have. Sam I Allardyce great. was there before he started yeah. taking his bongs.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Before his one day as England manager. Yeah, well.
1: <laughs> he was like one of the original managers to go all like modern, wasn't he? Yeah, he With was. his head pieces. Yeah, he? the yeah. Bolton side, were unreal, man. Oh, decent side. back in the day, yeah. weren't they? Right, Kieran. Well, let, let, let's get down to this. Thank you very much for, for joining us on the podcast tonight. Out of interest, have you ever have you ever heard any of the show?
0: Have you um, how did how did this come about? So some of the work that I do is with dads who've experienced uh, baby loss yeah. and uh, bereavement, and um, it's one of the things that we signpost uh, a lot of the dads we work with too. So it's it's on our website. We've got workers who work specifically with those services. So, okay. Um, yeah, we've we've known about it for a little while, um, and Wes, who I think's working, he's he's our uh, bereavement and and loss coordinator, um, and he's a bit of a, a, a fangirl. So. I'm sure he'll be loving the fact that I'm on here and gave him a shout-out. Yeah. <laughs> fan girl? There you go. <laughs> Can a, on... a fangirl for you guys, yeah, definitely.
1: So Dad Matters UK. Tell us about Dad Matters UK and then obviously we'd like to talk about you and, uh, and your, your story personally as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Dad Matters UK is a, a perinatal and parent-infant mental health support, peer support service. We're designed within NHS services that support families with under-twos or, or are pregnant Understanding babies and what babies do and attachment and bonding and all that kind of stuff. But then also mental health, both dads and mums, dads supporting mums. Mm. Uh, and accessing services is one of the biggest gaps for dads to be okay. So we support dads to access the right services at the right time. In Great Manchester, we've got 11 coordinators that cover the whole area. Uh, and across the UK, I think we're up to nearly 30, from Somerset to Blackpool to Leeds to okay. Surrey. And we're very specifically a service that supports those three things. We have most social media platforms. It's all Dad Matters UK. Uh, we have a TikTok, which is basically just me trying to wind my kids up by <laughs> doing silly dances. Um, but it's uh, it's a useful platform to be on. But all the other platforms, yeah, Dad Matters UK. Uh, YouTube's really good. We've got case studies on there. We've got loads of oh, videos that we did during lockdown. Loads of interviews and things like that. And then our website's DadMatters.org.uk. Uh, and there's lots of signposting on there for dads and, and other people to find support that they might need or information and that they might be able to use. One thing
1: that we have found interesting is the guests that we've had on, uh, especially in America and Australia, where it still seems to be lagging behind quite a lot at the moment. And and hopefully that is... But it's just good to see the continuing and the gradual process of trying to not only encourage guys to get involved, but they have the resources there um, just in the first place for, for people to do that. Do you find that more more guys are coming forward now or is it still something that maybe you have to... Uh, encourage a little bit, you know, to coax, coax us towards mm.
0: some support.
1: And you guys yeah. can answer this too. We don't well.
0: really we don't really give them a lot of choice. Um, <laughs> okay. the, I think the, there is a myth that, you know, you hear it said a lot, men need to be able to be more emotional or mm. reach out for support. But actually, there's a lot of dads out there that are not ready for that. And we mm. need to go to them. We need to find out where they are and we need to go and speak to them directly. So okay. we do that in universal spaces like antenatal clinics and okay. NICUs and uh, rainbow clinics and lots of places. Um, And then we also take one-to-one referrals from the professionals that they see. And one-to-one can happen over the phone or in person or in their home. Um, So we don't ask them to come to us. There's no part of our pathway where we ask them to come to what we're doing, uh, we we go to them first and that works much better.
3: And I think that's, I think that's big, past like past the fact it. that, yeah, to go because yeah, it stops the stubbornness then, doesn't it?
1: Well, we said it you before, know? it's the like, old cliche, you can take a lead a horse to water, you can't make it, you need yeah. to be ready and I think especially the, the differences with the guys and i have some stereotyping but you need to be ready, you need to be and also have that conversation which is quite, I think, quite often while we talk bobbins so a lot of the time you know, around football or just just generally just being blokey I guess to a degree to make that conversation an environment conducive for it. What Kieran said is, is right I think is the fact that
3: we sometimes we won't admit that we are you know mm. ready to be helped but it's actually stubborn. the fact that someone goes to you and says right this is for you as Kieran said it, it, it's, it's pulling that out of people to make sure that they then try and access that support right? Are they quite receptive to to you guys going out to them, um, Kieran, as well?
0: I think there's there's a few things that we use that help us to become more attractive to those dads to engage with. So uh, we don't get dressed up or anything like that, but like we go and speak to them about being a dad. Most dads really, really want to know about being a dad, what that entails. They yeah. might want to know what the, the challenges are going to look like so that they can spot them when it happens. So a lot of what we do is based on information and education and resources and signposting in a universal space, but also training professionals to see that and right. know what that looks like so that when they see a midwife or a health visitor or a perinatal nurse mm. or a NICU nurse or a Rainbow Clinic midwife or whoever it is in the pathway, that that, that person, that professional knows uh, how to engage with the dad. They know about us and our service and they, they signpost to it. So the, the brand goes a long way as well in yeah. terms of dads see it, it's, it's built for them. Uh, the logo has a big beard as well, which is <laughs> yeah. uh, an absolute coincidence. Yeah. Totally not based on me at all. Um, <laughs> so for you, Kieran, and your
1: story, because you had a loss when you were very young. Was it 19, I believe?
0: Yeah, I right? was 19. Um, wow. Yeah, it was. It, it's 27 years now. And I only really started talking about it when I started Dad Matters. Maybe not even at the beginning of that, maybe four years ago. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, Not really something I ever talked about before. But yeah, (laughs) I was 19 and uh, we had a daughter who... She died shortly after she was born from Group B Strep. I never never actually found out what it was until we were pregnant with our, our second losing at
1: 19 years. I mean, if you don't mind if we if we go back into it a little bit just to see where, you know, where you were at, uh, you know, I guess emotionally, mentally uh, at at the time as a 19-year-old because I think there's a lot of differences, you know, losing at an age where you're still you're still not grown up yourself, are you? You're still a, you know essentially no uh, uh, wait, well, you're a teenager.
0: Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. My my partner was younger than me. We didn't know that she was pregnant until really late oh wow okay um didn't find out until af- after it happened uh, what was happening yeah it wasn't just the fact that I, so I didn't expect to be having a loss yes because yeah. I didn't really expect to be having a baby until really really soon so yeah it was a, it was a really difficult kind yeah. of um thing to get my head around we weren't living together I was at university you know we saw each other sporadically it wasn't like okay a, we, we were really close we were very close but um yeah it was it was a group uh, a massive upheaval. Yeah, I remember when I found out. the The next day, I went back to uni, and I just I lived in the pub for a week. Didn't want to speak to anyone before mobile phones. So my dad was phoning my halls of residence every day, uh, different times, trying to catch me in. Didn't didn't want to speak to him.
4: What what year uh, was this?
0: Sorry, what year was this again? Nineteen ninety. We were six. Yeah, around
1: 97.
0: Yeah, okay. Seven, 90, No, maybe six or seven. Okay, 96. yeah. Seven, yeah. So the world's a massively different place back then. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. Because I was at uni and my life was really built around, you know, I was playing football, playing rugby, I was drinking most nights anyway. Um, it's It stopped me doing the social stuff and I just carried on doing the drinking stuff just to get away from it. And I lived in Ormskirk, so didn't have to oh, come yeah. back to, to Bolton to be around people. What I really wanted to do was be there for my partner Mm. um but a lot of people around me were saying you know you've got got to let her lead and you she's the one who's um, going to tell you what she needs and so i didn't really try i should have done absolutely should have done now i look back and think that that's the biggest mistake that i made was was not trying to talk to her more
1: but don't forget, you know, you're 19 yeah, years yeah. old. Where's your reference yeah. point? What yeah, you know, lot, what, yeah, that, your dynamics with your friend groups. It's a completely. I mean, listen, you, this happens to people in the 20s, 30s, and 40s can't handle yeah. that in, yeah. and the, that emotion. But to yeah. do it at the
0: age that you're at, I'm not. I'm not surprised.
3: Yeah,
0: absolutely. I found that um, I I thought that the older people around me knew what they were doing, mm. but but then when I spoke to my dad and my mom and I had a, a really supportive uncle. They, they really didn't know what to suggest either. They hadn't really been through it in the in the way that I had or or even at all. So everyone was just trying to make it feel better yeah. rather than... There was no tools for me to go away with and go, this yeah. will work. Yeah. There was nothing practical that I could get hold of and go, I can do this about it. So avoidance became the thing that, that I kind of relied on a little bit, I think. Avoidance.
3: Also, Kieran, I suppose that, as Dan said, 1996, the world is a... It, Although it's not that long ago, it was different, wasn't it, right? Yeah. You know, and, 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 well, Kieran said the, the y- mobile phones were just starting. Right. Internet, look, basically. Yeah. So the fact is that, you know, we we talk about men especially not being able to talk now. But if you go back 27 years, it would have been like completely alien, right? But especially also mid-90s. I mean, bear in mind, mid-90s, I was I was kind of... In secondary school, at that point, but I remember still as he as looking back as a as a boy, the midnight 90s seen quite a tough place. I I thought anyway. I don't know what you think, but I
1: thought looking back, midnight in '96. I was I was eighteen. Right, it was Blur and Oasis yeah, Euro '96. But that's, 96, but that's yeah, what I mean. Brit pop, lad culture. Yeah, the, Loaded that, magazine, yeah, that, girls drinking pints. Right. That was it. Was celebrated. That's wasn't what it? I
3: mean. It was that. It, that's what I mean about it being. Different. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And about males right. kind of having this. You should be this way. Expectation, right? you know, yes. the, yeah. So, you know. yeah,
0: I think I think that all yeah. contributed to how easy it was to avoid right. um, the thought processes that I really should have been going through. Avoiding them was much easier.
2: Were you mature at that age? I know that sounds like a, a very odd question to ask, but at nineteen, like you said, you're at university, you're in halls of residence, you're having to look after yourself, I'm assuming, with a student loan, where you're having to feed yourself, mm. you know, all that sort of type of thing. But then also knowing that you've got a baby on the way at the same time. At 19 years old, that's an awful lot to be taking on. Were you, were you quite a mature 19-year-old? Because I can tell you now, at 19, I wasn't.
0: No, I, I wasn't. I think after the loss, we, we got pregnant again pretty quickly. So the loss was May '97. I went to union '96, and then it was in '97. And then uh, we had my second daughter in '99. Uh, I felt so much more mature in '99. Mm. I felt like that was that was the step that I needed to take to make everything okay for me, and you know, make everything okay for my partner. It was difficult. I don't think I thought too much about it, but I felt mm. much more mature. Like I'd, I'd had an experience that a lot of people my age. The people around me that I wanted to talk to really just couldn't well, there's, there's, comprehend it. I hadn't thought about
1: the fact that, you know, when you had your loss, you were at university. Mm. So, and everything that goes with uni life and then the fact that you went back to University, as you were dealing with the loss, and that contrasting environment—you know what the university dorms are like. You know, you know the computer games everywhere, posters. Yeah. You know, maybe some dodgy cigarettes, knock around, You know, and, <laughs> and then you're dealing with this emotion, and that's why I'm guessing. And and you've said it; you've been really open about the the avoidance.
2: I, I was going to say, what uh, what an environment to be in. Yeah. For avoidance. <laughs> well, yeah. Because it's not yeah. like you yeah. are going to be facing things left, right, and centre day by day, because everyone that is around you has no understanding of what you're going through. Precisely. Everyone around you just wants to be out there getting pissed or going out, partying, yeah. you know, sports clubs, all the X, Y, and Z that comes along with universities. So actually, from an avoidance perspective, you probably couldn't have been in a better place. But I suppose that's where you
3: think then, Kieran, that's where you thought the mm. pub was the safe place to go then, right?
0: Yeah, because it meant I wouldn't need to talk to it, or talk to anybody about it. Like, So I. Uh, I was always—I always had a lot of different friend groups at uni from like different sports teams and different halls. Uh, and it got to the point where um, a few weeks after the loss, I could be out seven nights a week with a different group of friends, right. and and I would—I wouldn't need to talk to any of them about yeah. anything that was going on. I'd just go out and have a really good time. And I think towards the end of yeah. the uh, of the semester, I was talking to my, my dad about it, and my friend groups weren't all going out that much. So they might go out two or three nights, but they were all different nights. Okay. So I'd be out every night and they'd just be out for a couple. And then I came back over the summer, met up with all my old six form friends, and did the same thing, you know, four or five nights a week. Um, going out on the five bottles for a fiver, you know, offers. It was um and that's all I did, and I did that for a long time, like maybe two or three years. Wow. Uh, to the point where When I had my my second daughter in 99, I pretty much stopped drinking at home and I limited myself to maybe one or two nights out a week. And I wouldn't ever do that when I was around my daughter the next day because it just didn't feel... It didn't feel appropriate. Like, it felt like I'd avoided stuff for long enough. I need to focus on being a dad now and that really changed my perspective, I think, on that avoidance.
1: Was there like a uh, a light bulb moment, trigger moment, whatever you want to call it, when you... Acknowledge to yourself that there's unresolved trauma. There's unresolved. There's conversations that you've not had, and there's a lot which has been internalised. And because obviously, from from then to where you are and what you do now, is night and day.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't think it was that long ago. If I'm honest, I think starting dad matters was quite cathartic in mm. terms of the journey into being a dad. And what I, what I hadn't really really thought about was that. That included the loss. It, it it didn't start with my second daughter. And I think sometimes when you see there's a lot of campaigns, there's a lot of organizations and they, they'll use phrases like speak your child's name or talk about them regularly. or And actually that never resonated with me. And I think it was because I'd avoided it for so long. But okay. when I saw those types of campaigns, I felt triggered a little bit. And I totally appreciate how now that I can talk about it, I totally appreciate how that can, that can be helpful. And I think that really motivates me with Dad Matters to be able to work with somebody in their own space to see where they're at and what is appropriate for them rather than tell everybody what they should do and, and be be sharing a message for everyone that not everybody will resonate with. I remember my dad saying to me, probably when I was uh, mid-twenties, my dad had PTSD and he, he one day said to me, the only thing that ever helps me is to talk about the things that are in my head. It's the only way that I can, I yeah. can get used to it and, and uh, function and at that point I, fu- I thought yeah I do need to start talking more about what's happening but I was very practical I, I was always focused on the practical things that were happening in my life I okay. never really thought about the stuff that had happened in the past I definitely didn't really think about that emotional connection that I had with the struggles I had like um, I've always been a- an emotional eater so I, I overeat when I'm emotional okay. I know that now and I can manage it really well or better than I did but I didn't know that until I was maybe 30 years old. It was something I just did. I was never really linked into it. Being able to talk back then, I think would definitely have helped. Having people talk to me about what had happened would have helped because like I said, I didn't even know what had happened until we had our second child and yeah. the, the kind of maternity notes had information in. I didn't really understand what would happen during the next birth with our with our eldest and our uh, youngest, sorry, second and and youngest, um, and it it became it became really, it felt like somebody else's life. I was right. a, a dad with two girls who privately talked about his his loss. Yeah, and when I say privately, I mean mainly with myself rather than with other people. And now I do it because I know it helps other people rather mm. than because it helps me. But I've noticed that it helps me, and I think that's that's been really cathartic as well. And it is probably only the last few years I've realised that.
2: What I found really interesting there that that Kieran's just said is talking, you don't specifically have to talk to someone. Where he said there about talking to himself. I talk to myself. I I do talk to myself. I I actually find more, I think I can get things out easier if I talk to myself rather than talking to somebody else. Mm. I think I've always been like that. People must think I'm mad. I think more people do it than they will admit to, yeah where he was saying there that you, you're you almost living that it's like a double life it sounded very much like it ha, as kieran was explaining that there that it was almost like a double life yeah, yeah. he got the life pre his second daughter and the life after yeah. his second daughter and it was almost like it sounded almost like they were fighting against each other maybe at times i don't know i, I mean that's to some yeah. extent i maybe I'm, I'm looking at it slightly wrong but the the actual talking to yourself or talking to someone or go and talk to a wall or go and talk to a sheep in a field if you're going Ooh. for a walk or something yeah <laughs> sorry I'm just <laughs> gonna imagine it, Ryan talking <laughs> sorry, I'm just imagining Ryan talking to a sheep yeah <laughs> I could have said cow but like you know it, it <laughs> Out of all the animals sheep <laughs> it's only because of where we live and I just sort of think you walk over and you see sheep but been <laughs> lion dinosaur and a sheep <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I'm not gonna go and talk to a dinosaur am I <laughs> but you know what
3: so
1: Ryan's got on, one man and
3: his dog <laughs> <hour at real laughs> But, it, a lot of people talk but to, it is so, yeah. interesting what you said, yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah it is. We because do
2: we it. do because we do encourage people, we do encourage blokes to talk, we do, don't we? And and, and there mean, will be blokes on there who will be thinking, but I can't talk, I can't open up. We're not necessarily saying you've got to go and speak to yeah. a person. Yeah, yeah. Just talk, let it out, and and you'll still find that it helps. Do you ever talk to yourself when you're driving? All the time, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and and the other one's bathroom because the mirror is there. But then I notice if I do it in the bathroom one, I start telling myself off. If I'm doing it when I'm driving, I can't see myself, so I'm all with friends.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But that's I just wondered if other people do it like that. I definitely do that, and I'll I'll listen to music that feels appropriate as well in the car. Yeah, and I'll I'll sing it really loud. Kieran, I'm,
3: I'm interested to know, it's probably, I probably know the answer anyway, but at university, was there anyone within the kind of university who you thought you could turn to as far as, and not even just the loss on like a mental health side of things?
0: No, there wasn't a lot of support there no. from, from the uni. I didn't think, um, no. In fact, I had a couple of close friends who I lived on halls with that were probably a bit more emotionally intelligent than I was at the time, right. who I shared it with, and they would check in with me I actually spoke to the university because my, my grades after the uh, loss went down. I yeah. uh, failed the year. I had to tell people what had happened so they would let me reset the, the year after. And all I got was, well, you really need to make sure you make the points up next year. Really? It wasn't <laughs> really... There wasn't a lot of concern for me, wow. really. And I, and I don't know if that was because they weren't concerned or because I played it down when I talked to them about it. Okay. Um, okay. But then also I... Uh, uh, when it happened, I, I was home for the weekend and I had to call in one of the, the shifts that I worked in the local pub. And when I went back in a couple of weeks later, the landlady said that she was letting me go because I wasn't reliable um, it was the only shift that I'd ever called in and not been able oh to, that was the only do. time it's, yeah the only time d-
1: so you, you were working in the pub as well so that environment was really yeah. dom- you know a,
0: a, a dominating part of absolutely and the, the landlady and, and her husband he he was like a, a prison officer he was a dog handler he was a very macho mm. kind of and 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 I went and told them I was really honest about what had happened um, how I was feeling about it uh, because I thought you know they're my employer I really need them to understand so that if I can't work, then they they understand what what it is, and there was just nothing. I don't know if they thought that I was lying. Wow. Maybe it just sounded like it wasn't um, plausible. Maybe uh, maybe they'd heard loads of stories from loads of students that worked there over the years. I don't I don't really know. But
1: like you said, it's a different era, so it's not that people can go and check. You know, look at your social media posts, look at your background where you've been, like your life history is
0: there. What were you studying? Out of interest. Uh, well, my first year I was doing English with Modern European Studies, um, oh, wow. w- which was absolutely horrible. <laughs> I, I loved English, but Modern European Studies was the worst subject that I'd ever, ever even thought about. And I only did it because I went through clearing from A level, so I didn't. Okay. I didn't get a choice. Yeah. Uh, but then they they did allow me to reset second year, and I did just an English major. But I was still drinking seven nights a week. I would be in the bar instead of lectures. I was using my student loan. And my uh, my grant paid for my room and then I would just go blow it all drinking. So I, I left at the end of the second year with nothing. Yeah. And I think that's where the point where I did start speaking to my dad, but not about how I felt, more about practically what, what do I need to do now to, to sort this out. And I got a job as like a, a play worker uh, with a view to kind of doing something around playwork or or teaching, something like okay. that. And it was part time and I still carried on spending my wages. In the nightclubs, Mon- Monday nights till one o'clock in the morning, pound a pint, that, that kind of offer, mm-hmm. um, just to avoid talking to people about what was going on. And I, and I don't think this is really important because it really influences what I do now, if yeah. that matters. I don't think I'd acknowledge that that's what I was doing. Yeah. I don't think I'd acknowledge that that was the problem that I needed to talk about well, the, and needed to fix. The environment you're in enabled it, wasn't it? The fact that you had the mm. student loan, you
1: worked in the bar, it's part of the culture that you have at university anyway. So it all felt very easy and natural to fall into that. That then becomes a comfort, and then that comfort becomes your normal your normality. And it's escapism. Yeah.
3: It's just it's escapism. Like it's I've I've done escapism. Yeah. And and yeah. and escapism normally isn't healthy. No. You know, in general. It's normally things that you do because you don't want to live what you're living so you do what you do because actually that's like a cover up for what you're actually dealing with so then you know escapism is you know it comes in all forms doesn't it like, you know? mm.
1: after what you've been through then Kieran especially with that with the drinking and, and the work that you do now can you see it in other people before
0: they've before they open up to you about it it's, it's really difficult actually and uh, this is something I really did want to talk about tonight as I said earlier on, we've got Wes who does our takes our referrals from our maternal mental health service. And they cover dads who've had loss, bereavement, mm. uh, birth trauma. And I support Wes as his line manager and make sure that he's okay. Yeah. And he gets clinical supervision to make sure that the conversations he's having, he can manage. Okay. Um, and I've been on a couple of his walk and talks with dads who've had more recent loss, thinking I was going as a member of staff. And I got there and I wasn't a member of staff. I really f- felt that what, I could see what they were going through, but I would actively not want to see it. I, I would just uh, want to step away from it. Uh, and actually, when I speak to Wes often about the work that we do, and I know a lot of the dads that he works with have said the same, because Wes hasn't had an experience of loss or has empathy as a dad, they feel okay speaking to him because they feel like he's not affected by it. He can be compassionate and re- reactive. And I feel that I couldn't, I couldn't do that. So I don't often speak to a lot of dads um, that have had had loss, and when I do, it's very brief uh, because I, I just don't feel that like I can cope well with it. Interesting. There was one word you said uh, about Wes.
2: There is that he can be reactive when um, he's doing his walk and talks with you know with mm. those those dads who have who have had a loss, and our service that we run obviously is run by bereaved parents, so we have an understanding of you know the emotion the journey the 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 feelings everything that's that's associated with the loss of a baby so that's the sort of niche in, in the service that we run and it, i i i also completely empathize with what you're saying as well in the respect that you, you you can't invest too much of yourself in that conversation because i would imagine it takes you back 20 however what was it 25 years it takes you back doesn't it and drops you back into a time whereby it's obviously a very difficult time for you and there's obviously still something there that you know which and rightly so there's obviously still something there which which is obviously very triggering and and emotional for you and that's why i think that's why i think you have to be a certain type of person to work with bereaved families individuals parents grandparents who siblings whoever it may be because on a daily basis, we relive absolutely everything that we've been through. You have to be very careful where you, you you shoulder people's emotions, but you have to be able to throw them straight off your shoulder once they've gone. Because otherwise, you become very, very bogged down. And you can get lost in your own your own grief your own grief. Because there are times. I mean, there are. I'll all my hands up. There are times where I've heard stories and it's taken me back very, very quickly. And I've had to remain professional whilst being in that room or whilst I've been out having a walk with somebody. But then having the ability to be able to almost drop kick it then over a fence when they get back is, uh, is the important side of things like that.
0: Yeah. We, we always have, um, for, for all of our coordinators, not just with the bereavement families, but with, with anything, uh, we have clinical supervision mm. with our clinical psychologist partners in the early attachment services. Mm. Um, that's regular. Uh, but also ad hoc, as as and when you need it. Yeah. So if there is a story that you've heard, we encourage our staff to go and and share the story and yeah. think about uh, what they've done, what they could have done, what might have been better, and how are they how are they managing it, how are they processing what they've heard so that they're okay. Yeah. Because we all need to be okay at some point. Yeah. Um. And that 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 can happen clinically, but it, it can also happen with peer support. And like our team are great at peer support. So mm. there are some of us that have had loss there's some of us that have had NICU. some of us that have had birth trauma there's there's a lot of experience in in the room of, of 30 people and it really helps to be able to to speak about what you' what you've heard mm. we've also you know we have guys that, that volunteer for us that run the walk and talks now with dads who've experienced a loss uh, we've also got other dads that we had one dad who who had to do CPR on his baby and baby mm. survived and is, is thriving um he he's autistic and he Came to us as a referral for one-to-one support. Uh, Then he became a volunteer and now he works for us in the service, supporting other dads with autism who've got young babies or are expecting. And and that lived experience is a key part of what a lot of organisations should do. And we signpost the lived experience. So for Wes in particular, he'll make sure that he signposts to organisations like in Great Manchester, we have Finding Rainbows that are an amazing um, organisation for one-to-one support and peer support. Uh, we have Spoons who do, do uh, NICU uh, peer support and offer counselling. So we make sure that we know where the right services are for those dads to get to. And because we're there for dads, they're more likely to listen to us when we suggest it, which which really helps. Karen Anders, Dad
1: Matters UK, joining us on the Still Parents podcast tonight. We have spoke a lot about the changes in the levels of support, especially compared to when Kieran lost Emma, wasn't it, in 1997. Emma, yeah. And we've, we've come from
0: there to here, and this is a question for everyone, where next? I think some of the biggest issues are that we, we don't collect data on dads and co-parents, um, particularly in kind of maternity services. If we had that data and those dads were a part of that, that team around the child, if you like, then there'd be more access to services mm. and the services around them would be more likely to acknowledge that they are a part of that child's team, mm. which means if they're collecting that at, at booking, they're more likely to know if that dad's experienced mm. a loss and at least provide resources and signposting or at best provide some kind of one-to-one counseling services or engagement. If there's other things that happen, so uh, if there's a traumatic birth or a NICU, if the dad is linked into the re- the reporting the re- the records, that can really help for those services then to access right. that dad. Some of the other things that happen are we we keep telling dads that they need to be ready to open up so they can access support, but lots of dads are not ready to open up, and we need to go to them and speak to them and tell them that it's okay to not be ready, and that yeah. there's lots of information out there. You can, you know, we can prepare them to find support when they're ready for it before they 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 need that. We're, there's also we say you know dads don't talk or don't want to talk about stuff but actually mostly dads haven't acknowledged that they need to talk about anything yet and if they're given the right platform they will absolutely talk about it i think the pla- yeah. yeah the platform's all about those questions that we ask it's about how we present our curiosity in their situation because they often don't feel that people are that bothered about what they've experienced yeah, yeah. jumping
2: on to what kieran just said there as well about uh, booking and and dads and knowing that dads obviously will need support x y and z i personally think it's absolutely criminal that men uh well sorry parents shall we say And i'm not just going to say men here that when somebody goes in for booking when a mum goes in for booking at a hospital for a pregnancy that you are not automatically treated like a couple or a new family it I just I think it's criminal. Why is that not being looked at? I mean I, I, go on Kim I think I think Kim's probably going to say exactly
0: the same as what I was going to say. I think the way the systems have been built over time yep. means that mums are uh, or birthing parents mm-hmm. they are the the primary person that yep. maternity are looking after yeah and most dads and co-parents understand that that's the case and mm-hmm. are okay with it to to mostly to the right extent. <clears throat> When when we're not okay with it is when it's gone wrong, yeah. and then it's too late for us to to yeah. actually be more yeah. empowered to be more involved. So I think we we definitely need to think about how how that service engages with dads, but without without taking away that specific. Yeah, you know, mum mum is the patient at the, at the end of the day, and they yeah. do need yeah. to. Oh, of course, have yeah. More engagement, but but what what isn't acknowledged is dad's supportive role for mum and dad's parenting role with the baby and dad's own role as a as a person and how it's going to affect them, uh, whatever happens in their journey. And we wait and wait and wait until dads reach out and they don't. No, yeah.
2: absolutely. And a yeah. lot of people would say it comes down to funding, but actually it's not true. It's not come down to funding at all because I know, or I knew, sorry, when we went, when myself and Amy went in, I know that Amy's the patient. Yeah, yeah. I know that completely. Like, you know,
1: And that's never been, we're not getting anything. We're not getting it. Yeah.
2: No, we're not. Yeah. But what we're saying is just acknowledge the people yeah. that are in the room with them, Yeah. Mm-hmm. birthing partner. It may be same same-sex couples. Doesn't make any difference. It's the it's the person that is there with yeah. them that is yeah. going through that experience. The He's just side. acknowledging that actually this is a this is a partnership between them and that they're starting this family that you know and what yeah. have you and that's yeah, yeah. all it is it doesn't come down to funding in the slightest no. it comes down to empathy and it yeah. comes down to communication and it comes down to an understanding that it takes two to tango yeah. but look
3: what happened to Kelly remember the story he told <laughs> funny it?
1: you should I was just yes go
2: for when, it
3: no when he said about yeah. that doctor who come in Get the back room to him. and we had a you might not have heard Kim we had a guest on from America who said one they'd had a miscarriage and he the doctor came in and he was sat next to his partner. The doctor came in and literally sat with his back to him and just spoke to his wife. And it took him ages to then figure out- Yeah, in a small room, I remember, yeah. In a really, yeah, really small room. Couldn't have missed Mm -hmm. him. And he just said like, he just felt completely, like as you just said, like he wasn't part of the conversation. He wasn't part of the- It's a huge, it's a huge insult.
4: We're in this really small closet-sized room and my wife is sitting on the patient's chair and I am on a little stool in a corner. But from where I'm sitting, I could reach my hand and touch my wife. So it was a really small yeah. room. And the doctor walks in. And I don't know if you fellas can see me clearly, but that day I woke up as a black man. And I am sitting in this all white wall room. So there was no way this man could miss me when right. he walked in. Yeah, But he walked in and he sat with his back toward me. Wow. And he spoke with my wife that and worked. he got her consent for the procedure. And the man got up and he walked out but and did, never said a, acknowledge word, you. Never said to a word to me. He never looked my way. Wow. I could have been a painting on the wall for all he cares or a shadow or a big hole. And he just disappeared into the nothingness of the world outside.
3: But yeah. as Ryan said, that's not funding. <laughs> that's just that's just yeah. a person being mm. normal. Like, there's,
0: there's a lot. We hear that those stories all the time. And oh, there's, right. there's quite a lot of nuance to it. I think, yeah. um, again, going back to the record keeping, that person in the room with mum could be anybody around mum. It could be a brother or an uncle yeah. or a doula or a healthcare worker. or There's lots of people... And the doctors have to make sure it's the mum that gets the information. Yeah, yeah. But that doesn't mean that that's okay. That no. like they definitely need to at least say hi. Are you <laughs> yeah, partner? Right. Or How long does dad, it take to ask the parents? question? And that yeah. m- changes the whole uh, yeah. the whole feeling, then doesn't it?
3: Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, yeah because yeah, you, you, as you said, it could be just a support.
0: Well, that's worker, a rudimentary absolutely.
1: part of the process, isn't it? But like, it as soon as just... you go in there, who are the people that you're talking to? Who <laughs> yeah, is this? But yeah. Right.
0: And, a, you know, are you dad? Right, fine. Part of that comes down to, to kind of record keeping, yeah, knowing yeah. who's around right. you, but also mm. capacity in maternity care that, yeah. you know, it's decimated. They have got mm. lots and lots of understaffing. Yeah. And they're looking after three or four times more, um, yeah. more women that are birthing than, than they should be. And um, yeah. that's a parliamentary um yeah. thing that we 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 need to lobby for maternity and health visiting to be much more um, robust.
1: I think as we've said before we're not we're not talking about you know individuals no, no, no it's no. it's just generally the 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 bigger picture with it and and yeah. how that and can be moved on. and it's not, no, no, not, no, not bashing it's not bashing people obviously right? but, it,
3: but this is what you're saying about the next step. Yeah exactly. This is an education has to start. This is an education yeah. thing isn't it? You know it's trying to trying to educate yeah. people really and you
0: know we do yeah. we do uh multi-agency professionals training for midwives health visitors, perinatal right. staff and we you know we probably deliver it to hundreds every every month and there's not one person that comes there that wants to learn how to not speak to dads mm. they all want to <laughs> know how to do it yeah yeah they're just yeah. but they assume that they can't because they're nearly all women yeah. but actually you know the the research shows us that women can be as successful as, as men in that in that field so we need to encourage them to know yeah. uh, how men use bravado to exhibit anxiety because right. we, we do that yeah. a lot. Yeah. And sometimes professionals find that off-putting yeah. because mums don't tend to do that in, in peer support settings or in clinical That's settings. such so a good point. So we need to point. understand that that happens that and is, then they can respond to it appropriately. That is by such asking a good point. Yeah. yeah.
1: Bravado is okay to have. It's how it's done and how it's worded and, and and I guess the emotional intelligence behind the person saying it and for what reason that they're, they're mm-hmm. acting that way. And some of it, like you said, it's it could be a defense mechanism, it could be a trigger, it could just
0: be putting your own walls up. A lot of it is communication between men. We it, yeah. we communicate like that and we all know that we do. So we, we have dads in groups that talk about not wanting to go down the business end of the birth and being really like uh, using the wrong kind of language, maybe being quite insulting. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, but yeah. all the men in the room are laughing in the right places yeah. they're offering their own experiences they're asking questions about it and it is supportive it's for absolutely men that. it just doesn't look like it's people from the outside the
1: absolutely side. that as we said before there, is, there are thousands of ways you can make the same point yep. and different people resonate to different versions of that same point
3: yep. Yeah, absolutely
1: thank you so much for joining us Kieran that's, no um, worries it's that, been that's... really nice to be here good thank you so much for coming on that is kieran anders like we said all the details are in the description as well for this episode if you'd like to reach out get in touch and uh and follow and speak to to dad matters uh dad matters
0: uk kieran uh, any final thoughts you'd like to say before we before we call it a night i think just keep on doing what you're doing guys getting the message out there and having something that people can listen to and hear would have really helped me this would have really helped me and I think we need more dads to know that listening to other people talk about it is almost as good as talking about it yourself.
3: Thank you. Yeah,
1: we'd, really um, well, you're more than welcome to join us again anytime. Um, come and come and join us in the studio. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we'll, take, maybe we'll come up to Bolton and we'll have we'll, we'll take a game, won't we? Yeah. You could, <clears throat> you could bring Wes on as well with you. That is your lot from us. Thank you very much. This is the Still Parents podcast supported by Globals Make Some Noise. I always leave this to the end. But if you do have a spare minute or two just to give us a quick review, give us some stars, they, obviously, you hear every podcast say this, and it's true, because it helps. It helps us get discovered, helps the podcast gets discovered, and they are of a benefit. So we would really appreciate that if you, if you could do so give us a follow on our social Still Parents Podcast our website stillparentspodcast.co.uk all the details for Kieran Anders and Dad Matters UK will in the description to this as well Kieran thank you so much for, for joining us buddy cheers fellas I need to go home and Google how to make a proper beard like Kieran's now
3: yeah
0: <laughs> all about the grooming yeah there you go <laughs> See? Yeah. brilliant thank you you take care buddy yeah cheers fellas in a bit
1: thanks a sure. lot for the Still Parents Podcast Ryan and Matt I hope you get better very soon it's gonna be you. like a man flu loop now. I add it. You, they give it to you, and then I'm gonna get it back again. <sighs> yeah. Right. That's your luck then. Take care, everyone. Cheers, guys. We'll bye, bye. bye. Very soon.